Do you ever find yourself questioning if you're drinking too much? Do you find yourself scouring the internet for ideas on how to cut back? Do you fear that the fun will be over if you quit drinking? Decidedly Dry will teach you that you actually don't need alcohol to lessen your anxiety and stress. You absolutely don't need it to survive motherhood. And friend, you are absolutely not alone in this. This isn't just a podcast. It's a sober, curious movement. If you're ready to see how good life is beyond the wine bottle, you are in the right place. Hey, I'm Jess, a coffee slurping, messy bun wearing boy mom who strives to keep it real and bring a smile to your face. For years, I felt like I was living two different lives. By day, I was the fitness enthusiast, protein drinking mom who managed to get all the things done. But once the clock hit five o'clock, the cork was popped, the glass was full, and mom was checking out. This constant back and forth between fit mom and wine mom became utterly exhausting. I finally realized that in order to be the healthy, creative, joyful mom that I knew I could be, I needed to break up with booze. I created a plan that fit me, one that reinvented self-care, focused on the good, and gave me a life that I did not want to check out from. Now I am on a mission to help you create a life that you absolutely love. It's time to turn down the drinks and turn up the joy, babe. Grab yourself a cup of coffee and let's do this. Well, hello, my sweet friends. So super glad that you are here. And I am thrilled to say that maybe, just maybe, my voice is sounding a little bit back to normal. (laughs) Oh, these allergies this season have been a doozy for me. But... That is not what we are here to talk about today. Today, I am interviewing a fabulous new friend of mine, Christy, and I just want to introduce her to you. So here's a little bit about Christy. Christy is the founder of Purple Dog Sober. She founded the company during the pandemic when it became obvious how women were struggling with trying to balance home, work, and the schooling of their children. Holy moly, do I remember that feeling. Along with this pressurized role women were expected to fill came a huge rise in using alcohol as a coping mechanism, simply because that is what we're taught to do. The mission of her work is to provide women with a safe space where they can begin to explore their relationship with alcohol. She does this using the framework of anchor pages and the process of sketchbooking, which becomes an alternative coping mechanism. Oh my gosh, can I talk today? (laughs) That women can adapt to their daily lives and routines. Friends, I got to just stop for a second. I had never heard of sketchbooking before. And when Christy explained this to me, which we will obviously touch on in today's episode, I was blown away with this amazing, cool, therapeutic technique. Along with all of that, her newest venture is Sober Wild, which is an outdoor adventure recovery space based in New York. Now, I have totally told you way too much about Christy. She's going to tell you all about herself in today's episode. But you guys, this girl had me at Sober, Art, and Outdoor Adventures. Oh boy, oh boy. Christy, if we looked closer, I am pretty sure I would be your BFF. (laughs) Now, before I skip over to the interview, I have an amazing free 
Yes, you heard that correctly. A free gift for you. This week, I took the time to put together three of my favorite mocktail recipes on a downloadable PDF. These are actually some of the mocktails that I feature in the Decidedly Dry journal, but now you can have them for yourself. So if you would like to snag a copy, simply head to www.decidedlydry.com and enter your email in the little light box that pops up when you're on the homepage. And bam, you will have some summer mocktail recipes in your inbox in no time. It's just my way of saying thank you for joining my email list and also me encouraging you to stay dry this summer. Now, for those of you listening going, uh, Jess, I'm already on your email list, just shoot me an email, decidedlydry at gmail.com, and I will make sure to send it over to you, okay? So those links will be in the show notes. I have talked way too long. Friends, here is Christy. Welcome back to the show, you guys. This is Jess, and today I have the pleasure of introducing you to Christy. Hi, Christy. Hey, Jess. Good to be here. I am so thrilled to hear your story, and I just want to say thank you. I love, love, love these chats, and I'm excited to have listeners hear another wonderful story. So thanks for being here. Yeah, sounds good. All right, my friend. Well, we're going to kind of start like most of these chats start, where you just get to introduce yourself. So if you want to tell listeners who you are, if you have kids, where you live, what you do for a living, all that good stuff. Yeah. So Christy, obviously, um, I live outside New York City. I'm originally from Calgary, Canada. been living in New York for, oh gosh, I don't even, 20 some years, which is crazy that I can say a number like that. <laughs> um, I have two kids. I'm a single mom, two kids, um, 19 and 17, which again, I can't believe I'm saying numbers like that because I feel like they were five and three a couple weeks ago. Um and yeah, right now I um I've you know I worked as a teacher for many years. I did freelance writing for many years, and I'm currently working as a sobriety coach, which I have just found my groove. I use a lot of creativity in my approach to working with women in sobriety, and um, I've also just started a new venture with outdoor recovery outdoors. So sort of taking that meeting from the church basement to the wild, like, uh, you know, in a kayak on a mountain, wherever, because I feel like sometimes we just get stuck in those spaces. And I think just mm -hmm. building that confidence outside can, you know, you're doing things, doing hard things. And I, I think that just adds and builds on your sobriety. So um, yeah, it's been a crazy journey to get here. I you know, if someone had told me this is what I would be doing, I would have been like, what? Like, what's it, you know, when way back when in, in high school, what's this, a coach? I didn't even know what that was except for a sports coach. So um, it's interesting, but I, uh, I feel like that's just part of life. You never know where you're going to end up. Absolutely. Well, you are speaking my language. I mean, you had me at coach and outdoors and adventures. So, oh, I just can't wait to hear more about that. Um, yeah. Well, I would like to know, kind of what your history has been with alcohol. So when did you start? When did that relationship start to change? Kind of walk us through that part of your life. Yeah. So, um, I mean, I started drinking in high school, but not crazy drinking. I started going to bars when I was 16. I hung around my older cousins, uh, used fake ID. I grew up in Canada. So the drinking age is 18. Um, you know, so I just sort of tag along with them, but never, I would never drink in those bars. I would just go there for the dancing. Um, you know, but I would drink occasionally in high school. College was when it really started. I joined a 
sorority in my second year. And I clearly remember I just joined for the parties like that is and you know, 100% social anxiety. How do I talk to that cute boy in the corner? Oh, I need a couple drinks. And um, addiction runs in my family. My father was in AA for 20 some years. Um, I'm, I know I have other relatives that never were in the in the open with their their addictions. So um, I just really easily fell into drinking and um, but I could also quit, you know, so I was very much that gray area drinker, mm. um, you know, in college where I could depend on kind of like who I was dating or what we were doing. Um, and I grew up as a competitive athlete as well in high school, which is why I didn't really drink a lot in high school, but I, so I could quit. I could, you know, drink for four or five months a lot and then, you know, quit for a couple of months. And, and even when, um, you know, my first few years of marriage didn't drink a lot, um, after September 11th, I lived two blocks from the World Trade Center. Um, so I, that was a for sure time in my life when my husband and I um, drank every night. Mm -hmm. That's how we coped. That's just what we did. And I feel like it sort of just kept sort of ramping up a little bit every year when we had kids, it started to, that whole mummy drinking, being stuck at home. I quit my job to stay at home with my kids for a while that sort of started, you know, ramping up and, um, you know, went through a divorce. So sort of all those sort of inflection periods, uh, times of stress and change, I could feel it ramping up a bit more. And it was, I was divorced for about a year. And I was like, yeah, you know, this is, you know, I was all, I was gaining weight. I wasn't, I was God 47, I think at that time. And I was like, I can't, I can't, this is not good for me. I can't keep doing this. So I was working with a health coach who just said, Hey, why don't you, who did not know any of my drinking history at all. None of my past. We had never discussed it. She was like, Hey, why don't, you know, I, she's like, I took a year off of drinking. It really helped, you mm -hmm. know, with weight loss, my health, all these things. And I was like, yeah, you know, I could maybe do 30 days. Sure. Yeah. Cause it, I was in between, um, I'd had a really bad weekend of drinking. And then 30 days from then I was going to go meet my college roommates at an all-inclusive in Mexico. So I was like, yeah, 30 days. Perfect. I'll dry out. I'll detox. I'll be ready to go. Um, and a couple weeks into it, I was like, I feel so good. I don't ever want to drink again. Yeah. Um, so I called my college roommates and I was like, Hey, I'm done drinking. And can you support me when we meet in Mexico? Cause it was too late to, mm -hmm. to do anything. So at 30 days sober, I went to an all-inclusive resort in Mexico. Um, talk about the I, ultimate test. <laughs> yeah. But my roommates were great. They were so like, they were just like, we got you. Like they Good. stood by me. The hardest part was the staff at the resort didn't understand why I didn't want to drink. Sure. Um, and I finally had to tell them I was allergic and they put that on it. You know, they put that every time we checked in somewhere, they were like, oh, allergy. Cause I was like, I, they didn't understand why I was at an all resort and not drinking. But right. um, anyhow, yeah. So that was, that was kind of my, my story. It just, uh, it snuck up on me and, yeah. uh, you know, I looked at my dad's past. I, I, I knew about that. I, educated I knew all those things but it just snuck up on me and I was like I don't want to live like this anymore hmm. well and I love so many pieces of that what I really love is how vocal you were with your friends you know yeah. like hey this is what's going on and a lot of times I know from previous people I've talked to like that's an uncomfortable conversation but so yeah. important because look at how much success you had because it was something that was important to you and you knew yeah. I mean, hey, we're going on this huge trip. 
I was lucky enough. I think I had two really good friends who lived close to me who had been in AA for decades, both of them. So once I sort of made that decision, like, hey, I'm not going to do this anymore, I did reach out to them and they sort of gave me like that confidence and those tips. And I went to a few meetings and that just sort of wasn't my path for recovery. But um, just having, I think that exposure to people and like, why am I hiding it? Why am I, what am I being ashamed of? Nothing. I, you know, had a good run with alcohol. It's not working for anymore. Like I'm done. It's just, and I really just was very honest and just told people it was messing up my life. Yeah. Yeah. And then when you say that they, what can they say? Right. No, come back to that. Right. Exactly. Like just like, oh, oh, okay. Um, yeah. Anyhow, moving on. I feel better without it. Are you sure? Like, yeah, I'm pretty sure. Like I'm feeling really good. Oh, wow. So those first couple of weeks, I mean, it sounded like you just hit that point where it was like, no, I feel really great. Like, were you doing anything like tools wise those first couple weeks? I mean, were you listening to podcasts, reading, making mocktails? Like, was there any yeah, tool in place? In, so that was in 2018 when I got sober. Um, so there was a few things on the internet, not like there is now. I was definitely looking for, I just wanted to read other women's stories. Like, mm-hmm. what is it like a year out, two years? How are you feeling? How are you looking? How are your relationships? Like, I wanted to know all that info, like, you know, what, how it got better. Um, so I looked for that. But my biggest tool and the tool that I use with women that I coach is the sketchbooking, which... um it's just a way I started using it in my divorce. Um, it's just a way to process your emotions. So it's using paint words and images in a sketchbook. And just I would I would do it every day, just go to that, especially around five o'clock when it's like, that like, ooh, I'm itchy for my first drink, because it's after yeah. five o'clock time to pour my glass of wine, right? Like that thing you get stuck in, and I would just go to my sketchbook and sit with it paint with it and just sort of process what I was going through. Because again, when you get rid of that alcohol and you've numbed yourself for decades at this point, um, there's a lot of stuff that that comes up. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it's like, what do I, where do I put it? So I would put it through my creativity into the, into this, um, this sketchbook. And that just became a, it really becomes like a, um, a record of, kind of where I was and I, where I'm going and what I'm working through. And I look back at it now, it's, it is so interesting to see that journey of where I, where I started and where I am. So that was my biggest tool. Um, You know, movement was always big for me, getting outside, um, walking fresh air. um, And then obviously just doing, and I lived by myself. I was divorced Mm -hmm. at that time. So it was easy for me to get rid of alcohol in my house. There wasn't anybody bringing it in, which I think can be, you know, that's a, negotiation if your partner is still drinking I didn't have that and then just reaching out to friends and that honesty and like hey this this is the support I need you know can you are you able to help me you able to meet for coffee you able to go for a walk tonight and I think you can't be shy about asking about that stuff no 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 such good advice what were some of the benefits that you started seeing immediately the main thing was just the clarity just having like a crystal clear brain when you woke up like I mean because when you think about like what I think it takes what 72 hours for alcohol to leave your body or 48 hours or something like that longer than you think yeah yes so when you are I mean I was pretty much a daily drinker you know I'd have two or three glasses of wine most nights not necessarily every night if my kids had an activity I would be driving them or whatever but 
So I was always just sort of in that fuzzy head space where it mm. was always kind of in my body, honestly. So um, that was a huge thing that I noticed right away. And I liked it. I was like, wow, this feels really good. And then yeah. um, sleeping was also a big thing for me. You know, I'd been going through a divorce. I, that first year of my divorce, it was like survival mode, definitely. And then that second year, it was when I started to process a lot of stuff. So, um, you know, I'd have that 3am wake up when your body's finally metabolizing your alcohol. And I, then I couldn't get back to sleep because it was like, anxiety and they did all the yeah. things so once I got rid of alcohol though I started sleeping better I just um and then I think I just slowly started to start to trust myself and, and mm -hmm. build my confidence again and just really own my place in the world as a sober woman which I didn't really don't think I knew who I was when I was drinking yeah yeah it's it's that clarity that you you don't know like how foggy you are in the moment right. Yep. Like you just feel like that's normal. And then once yep. you remove it, it's like these blinders come off and you're like, oh, wow, like yeah, it's the craziest. everything had been doled down for so long. And now I have this extra time yes. and this extra mental space to like, you know, pour yeah. everything into my creativity or whatever else I want to pour it into. So, yeah. And then even that, um, even though I think my emotions were all over the place, but I think really feeling that real joy because it wasn't numbed. Like none of my emotions were numb. So the positive emotions were, you know, it was amazing. I mean, yeah, the heart, the negative ones are, are harder to deal with because you're not used to that, but it was just like, wow, this is what true joy feels like, true pleasure, true, whatever. So, um, all, all good stuff. I mean, yeah. there's some hard stuff too, when you're getting sober, but I feel the positives for me, my journey definitely outweighed any negatives. Same, same, you know, and you just look at it and I'm like, well, how could alcohol make this better? It can't, you know, right. yep. like when you really look at those hard times, it's like, yeah, it's going to be fine. It's going to work yep. itself out. It is hard, but well, I want to hear more and talk a little bit more about the sketchbooking that you talked about. So was that something that you did before you got sober? Like, were you creative and did you have time to do that kind of stuff when you were still drinking at night or did that open up a window once you got sober? Um, so I started doing the sketchbooking when I went, started going through my divorce because I trying to remember how I got into it. So I was a free working as a freelance writer and I was like, you know, I use a lot of words. I'd like to do something, another way to sort of stimulate my creativity. I think I was still drinking at that time. And I think my creativity was a little stuck and a little numb as well with everything else. So I'm like, Hey, if I bring in paint and words, and images, how's that going to expand my creativity? So I started doing that. Um, and that really helped me. It did help me process stuff during the divorce, um, even while I was still drinking. But, uh, you know, it was like that I'd, I'd have like a bad call with my lawyer or something and immediately go to my sketchbook after and just, you know, get all the angry words out and then paint over it with a totally different color and then put some other pictures on and just sort of like get it all out. And um, so I was doing a little bit, but it really exploded when I got sober because I was spending more time on instead of sitting on my couch with a bottle of wine and a bag of potato chips, I'd be at my dining room table with a cup of tea and just, you know, this is, especially when my kids were at their dads, that mm -hmm. those were the hard times. And was like, that's, what do I do? I'm kind of sure. stuck in my house here. I don't know what to do. Um, so I would just be in that dining room table for two or three hours at night, sometimes just painting and throwing words down and paint and, um, 
know, getting my hands messy and doing all that stuff that we really need as humans because we are creative beings. And if you don't have a way to express it, it just gets stuck and stifled. And then, um, yeah, you just become stagnant. So absolutely. And I just getting my, I, I talk a lot about um, high touch experiences instead of high tech because mm. our brains are really wired for that you know, whether it's paint you're getting your hands in or mud or whatever it is, like, you know, if you're making a bread dough on the can, like our hands, we need those experiences. And I think that our brains are just not, you know, it's not the same when if you're like punching your iPad, you know what I mean? Totally. As opposed totally. to like messing or scribbling even with a crayon on a piece of paper, like it's a totally different uh, experience. So yeah, yeah, definitely when my, when I stopped drinking, I just, had more time and I just really clung to it, I think, as a new coping mechanism. Yeah, yeah. So I, w- I would love to, I mean, in my head, when you talk about it, I just imagine almost like this beautiful vision board almost of just like emotions, you know, because is that yeah. what you would start with is just like either a feeling or a word or and then just kind of build off of that? Yeah, often. Um, yeah, so sometimes I would go to the page. Uh, with a prompt, you know, sometimes I'd, I would find a prompt or a question or something, an answer I wanted to look for. Sometimes I would just go sit in front of the page and see what sort of bubbled up. Mm-hmm. But absolutely, it's um, it's a little bit like vision boarding, like it's a little bit like collaging. It's a little bit like sketch. It's all these things sort of smushed mm-hmm. together. It's all um, it's all process work. That's the real beauty of it. There's no sort of product. Mm-hmm. So there's no like... Um, you know, step-by-step checklist of going through. So everybody's does look so different. And I think the day that you go to your sketchbook also, you know, it's it's different and you're building on it. And, um, you know, like I said, it just, it's like, it's like a roadmap of of your sort of journey. And I think that that is, especially I think as women, we're not really good at chronicling our story. We're super good at, you know, taking pictures of our kids, taking pictures of our family, making sure everybody else's story gets heard and written down. But our story and our voice gets lost and all that. So the sketchbook um, also just becomes a way of like, Hey, this is my story, or these are the parts Mm -hmm. I want to rewrite, or Hey, this doesn't fit me anymore. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to write this down, paint over it, leave it in this sketchbook. And this is, you know, my new story that I'm rewriting. So I think that it can just be a place to, to do all of that. Yeah. And the word that keeps coming up in my head is release, just like to release it. And it sounds therapeutic. And like you said, what an amazing tool to flip back and be like, wow, just looking at these few pages, that was a hard time right there. But then I flip over here and wow, like I'm making progress. I can feel like how much stronger I feel in these images or these words. So, oh, I love that so much. And I think it also helps too sometimes because you can look back and be like, oh God, I'm still carrying that baggage around. Like, why am I carrying this around? Or why I keep saying I want to do this thing. And, you know, here I am six months later still. So I think it also just becomes a reminder of like, hey, that was important to me and it still is important to me. So I need to do something about it. And I Mm -hmm. think, and it's fun. And you get to use paint and glitter. Yeah. And, and I mean, I want to try it with my whatever. kids. I feel like it would be it's a really so cool thing with kids. kids. Yeah. It's so good for kids because um, so I used to do it with my kids all the time when, they, when I was going through this. It models a, a coping strategy like, hey, I'm not going to go pour a glass of wine. I'm going to go and sit and work out stuff. 
And then I think it gets kids into that idea of experimenting because sometimes their work at school is so product driven. So it's like, it's just, it's that here's some materials. There's no right or wrong. Just see what happens. Yeah. And it's funny when I work with women a lot, they are often like, is this right? I don't know if this, I'm like, there are no rules. And some people have a really hard time because they want to follow the rules. I'm like, there are none. I mean, I have a few rules, like you can't rip a page out. If it's an ugly page, we'll fix it. But um, I think we're just some, not a lot of spaces where we feel we feel like there are a lot of rules. So I think it's yeah, it's so good for kids to um, refreshing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I also want to circle back. I loved. Will you tell me again? Was it the high touch compared to high touch high versus high tech? Yeah, that also made me think of kids because, and I just yeah. look at you know, okay what are their emotions or how do they act after, excuse me, when they've been on a screen for too long, as opposed to creating something with their hands or being in nature or throwing rocks into the river or just those things, you know, it is so clear how we are supposed to be and how we can, you know, unwind and live and breathe and just be amazing creatures when we are doing things personally, in my opinion, which we were kind of meant to do, you know, as opposed to just shutting off, you know? And everybody is creative. I have, I do, I do have, mo- I mean, 90, 90% of the women I work with don't label themselves as creative. They're not, cre- I don't work with creatives, you know, like capital C creatives exclusively. Most of them, they're just regular women. They're lawyers, doctors, therapists, whatever they are. And, um, they come to me and they're just like, I'm not creative. I'm like, everybody is creative though. Like that is the thing. And it just, we forget that we're creative because it gets beaten out of us at school for the most part. Um, You know, you're allowed to have fun maybe up until middle school and then it just becomes real serious and we forget how to have fun as adults and just Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. have a space to be goofy and experiment and do things. And, And real serious stuff gets processed in the sketchbook as well. But it's also just a place of play and exploration, which I think as adults, we don't have that many places. Right, right. And I appreciate that so much because this is just such a unique and beautiful and amazing sober tool that people might not have known about. So I appreciate you sharing about it. Um, I would love to also hear more about this. I jotted it down before we got on. Your outdoor recovery space. Is it Sober Wild? Sober Wild. It's yes. It's super brand new. We're having our kickoff hike on April 29th. Um, so if you live in New York, New Jersey, Connecticut, um, that's kind of the tri-state area where I am right now. Um, yeah, and it's just the idea of an alternative to again, sort of another coping strategy, being out in nature and doing kind of like some hard things where you can look back and be like, damn, I just did that. Like right? I just climbed up that mountain. Whoa. Like, <laughs> or I just kayaked up that, that river and we just, whatever it is. And I think, um, again, sometimes we don't have access to that because, you know, maybe we didn't grow up doing that or you're not mm-hmm. sure what to do or the equipment involved or what, where do I go to do this? And Again, there's so much loneliness in sobriety. Sometimes for some people, there is that idea of loneliness and the answers all, you know, what I see sort of online and in different spaces, like, oh, we'll go to meetings. You'll meet people at meetings, but sometimes you don't. Sometimes you just go to a meeting 
whether it's AA or refuge recovery or this, you know, whatever meeting is or an online meeting. And people just want to go to the meeting and then they, they go back to their lives. So there's sometimes sure. not that way to socialize or, or to connect. And I just like the idea of being out in nature um, and building. Again, it's like a, a place where you can sort of build yourself up because, um, and I can't remember where, what, whose book I read this in. It was a, a hiking book ages ago. But the idea that you don't build self-esteem in your kids by giving them gold stars. You build their self-esteem by taking them to the top of a mountain. Hmm. And I think that in someone who's in recovery, you're sort of at that childlike phase a little bit. Again, if you've been drinking, you know, for 10 or 15 or 20 years, you sort of are rebuilding yourself and your self-esteem and your confidence. So, you know, going to the top of a mountain and looking down and, you know, when you think like you maybe never thought you would do that or um, going like rock, indoor rock climbing and just getting up um, one of the set paths, like, you're just like, wow, I did that. And then I think yeah. that carries over into things you have to do sort of in your daily life and your relationships or at work or, um, so that's sort of where the inspiration came for that. So I'm super excited about it. It's super brand new. Um, and yeah, I don't know. It's I'm, exciting. I, I just, it's so exciting. Yeah. Well, and yeah. I think too, like when you start racking up those dry days, when you've removed alcohol for a while, you just start to feel that sense of empowerment where it's like, yes. okay, like I'm doing this. And yeah. like you said, where it's like, I, I get that a lot where people are like, well, where do I meet new friends though? Where do I yeah. meet sober people? Where do I meet, you know, someone that yeah. is like-minded because I feel yeah. really good, but sometimes I feel alone. And yeah. so finding these different opportunities where you can kind of link up with people that are on the same journey as you and go do yeah. cool stuff. I mean, who doesn't yeah. want to go do these fun adventures, you know? Yeah. So. I mean, because it, it can be hard to find spaces where alcohol isn't, you know what I mean? Like you go to a book club, there's often, you know, wine and cheese. You go to kids' birthday parties, there's alcohol. You go to sporting events, sometimes there's alcohol. You, it, it seems like everywhere, I was somewhere the other day, I can't remember where it was, but I was like, why is there alcohol here? Everywhere. <laughs> like, why is it here? Um so sometimes it can be hard when you, you, uh, you really don't want to avoid, it, especially in the early days, you know, like six months to a year to two years. Sometimes you're not quite sure. Sometimes you don't have your social sort of legs under you, depending on how you're interacting in, in your journey. So I think it is nice to have those things. And I, you know, everybody, I don't know everybody, but a lot of people do have those, some of those things on their bucket list. I, I want to go kayaking. I want to go rock climbing. I want to, go on that retreat. And that's something I'm going to start doing in the fall is some, some, some sober yoga retreats around where I live. Um, Cause I think and there's so many retreats out there, but you know, everybody can afford to go to Bali for right. a week. I mean, I would love to be able to go to do that, but I can't. You know, <laughs> I um, so I'm thinking just some local things in the Northeast to um, retreats for people to go on. So that's awesome. So, yeah. so cool. Well, one of the last few questions that I, I'm grabbing my sheet so I don't mess it up because my favorite question, my last two, excuse me, I'm totally over okay. or confusing my, my guests. You guys know the questions probably better than I do now, but looking forward, we've got this new adventure that you are, are rolling out, all these new things. Is there anything else that, you know, sobriety is going to make happen for you looking into the future? Um... I don't know yet. And I think that sobriety, sobriety has let me be okay with that. Yeah. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, I feel like 
I do a lot of work with myself uh, and it's a daily practice for sure is just to bring myself back to the present. Like I love to dream and plan and wonder, but just always bringing myself back to the present. Cause that's all you really have is this present moment that you're in. Um, and sobriety has really just allowed me to be like, yeah, I'm okay with that. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know. My, my son is a junior this year. So next year he's a senior. Um, I'm going to be an empty nester. I, I don't know. I don't know what, um, nobody knows what the future's going to hold, right, but especially right. after the past few years, we've all gone through, we have realized we have no idea or control over the future really, but, um, I'm okay with that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm open and I'm ready. And, um, I have some rough, you know, goalposts that I want to get to, but, um, I'm okay if things pivot I'm you know 53 now so I feel like I'm okay with pivoting like I'm, yeah. I'm okay with yeah. that and I think that's a beautiful thing you know just to accept the unknown you know just be like yeah. I'm ready for it I'm here yeah and I think I think sobriety but I think do think when you're sober you have the more capacity to be okay with the unknown because you're not as scared of it I think yeah yeah I think At least so. if you're doing the work, if you're doing the work of, of being sober and trying to keep yourself present and, and working through your emotions and processing stuff, then it all sort of um, does add up, I think. Yeah. And I think accepting like how good you feel and reminding yourself that every day, because I think if you're constantly using that as like a, well, I don't know what's going to happen. So I don't want to say I'm not drinking forever. You know, it's almost like you're preparing yourself. Right. For that yeah. opportunity in the future. But if you really just focus on the now, like you were saying, where it's like, no, just, just today. Like, I feel great today. I'm not drinking yeah. today. Like just kind of wrapping your head around that and just, just focusing one day at a time. Yeah, absolutely. Well, all right. My last question, my sweet friend is to the one or many that are listening right now and feeling inspired to make a change. What advice would you give them? I would say do it. You're not going to regret it. You will only regret um, looking back, you know, six months, a year, five years, 10 years, whatever. When you finally think you're ready, you're never going to be ready for that change. So you might as well jump in with both feet, rip the bandaid off and jump in with both feet. Because I think, um, and I think maybe taking some of the heaviness off the change too. Like I talk a lot about, let's just explore your relationship with alcohol Let's just see what it's doing to you. Let's experiment with it because sometimes there's so much heaviness. And I personally love the word sober and sobriety. To me, it's a very empowering, empowering word. But I know some people have like, they get kind of like, I don't really like that label, that word. Um, So take the heaviness away from it and just be like, hey, I'm just going to explore my relationship with alcohol and see what happens and set a set a time frame. I'm going to give myself 30 days to experiment with it, explore it. I'm going to work with a coach and see what happens. I'm going to try this and see what happens, or I'm going to, I'm going to try going for 60 days and see what happens. And then just dump into it. I think that, um, I don't really know anybody that I have met on this journey. Who's been like, damn, you know, I, I should have drank for another five years. Like, you know what I mean? Like they're, they're like, I wish I'd, gotten sober 10 years before I got sober. Um, and I did try to get sober 10 years before I got sober. And yeah, I hundred percent wish I had, but there was some reason why I got sober when I got sober. So, um, yeah, I think why, why, especially when I think, you know, you're in your thirties, forties, fifties, like 
you're getting older, time is running out, or we don't sure. know, nobody knows how much time there is. So if it is something that where it's, it's raising concerns, or there are some little red flags going off in your head, I, I say, rise to the occasion and, and reach mm-hmm. out to some, there's, you know, I worked, I do some one, some one-on-one coaching. I also run um, a group called the, the Radical Sketchbooking Collective, which is a membership monthly, we meet uh, a couple times a month online and um, get support. There's so many, there's so many people you can meet a coach that has your person, similar personality, whatever. Like there's, there's so many people go to a free meeting, whatever there's support and people out there. And I think you, you'll be surprised who enters your journey. Like the people that in your life who you didn't really know were, I knew there's people that came out of the woodwork that were like, Oh, I'm sober too. And I'm like, really? I had, you yeah. know, cause you don't know, you don't notice when you're busy drinking, you don't notice who's not drinking. So, um, yeah, I say, just go for it. It's so true. And the thing that you made me think of was someone used to say, I never wake up thinking, man, I wish I would have drank last night. Uh, yes. Right. You know, cause you never feel that way. You wake up thinking, ah, oh, yes. Like yeah. I did it. I did it again. So why wait? Yeah. I love that. Oh, this was so good, Christy. Thank you so much for just taking the time and sharing all of your gifts and your story. Um, I will have your contact information in, I always do this, I point like people can see me right now, in the show notes down here, um, in the notes so that people can get a hold of you. But if they wanted to reach out, what's the best way to find you? Um, Instagram at Purple Dog Sober um, is easiest, I think. And then, or through my website, which is, you know, purpledogsober.com. Um, those are sort of the two nice. to get Perfect. Hold. Yay. Okay. I'm not going to point down, but I will have that in the show notes for you guys that want to check out all that she has to offer and hear more about just these awesome adventures and sketchbooking and all the things that you are putting out in the world. So thank you for what you do. And we will see you guys next time. This was so great. Thanks, Jess. You bet. <laughs>